Well, good day and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. Uh, my name's Matt. It's great you're joining us. This ministry has been prepared for Sunday the 14th of August. And as we begin our time, hear these words of scripture from Psalm 84. They say, O Lord God of hosts, hear our prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Well, how true that is. Uh, let's begin our time with a moment of praise.
Well, let us pray now as we come to the ministry of God's word. God, our Father, may we love you in all things and above all things and reach the joy you have prepared for us beyond all our imagining. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Well, our Bible passages today, uh, our Old Testament one comes from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through to 3. Our psalm for today is Psalm 67. And our New Testament reading that I'll be speaking from in just a moment comes from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. And so I encourage you to pause the video for a moment to read these through, especially read Colossians 4, 2 to 6. Uh, In just a moment, I'll come back and share with us from that. Let me pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, uh, please guide us now through your word. Speak to us through it. Help us to respond uh, with love and obedience. Amen. Well, quite a number of years ago, uh, I bought a bike. And after doing a number of uh, charity road cycling events, uh, a mate invited me to start coming along to the local afternoon cycling races. And when I say my mate, who I actually mean is my father-in-law. And so I thought, yeah, right, eh? great. I said, yep, I'll come along. I'll give it a go. But it wasn't until I turned up that I realized I had this sudden realization that of sudden feeling that I don't belong. I didn't know what I was meant to be doing. I didn't know when I was meant to be doing things. I didn't know where I was meant to be that first time that I turned up. Uh, I wasn't familiar with the language. And so when the marshal came to me and said, hey, you're going to be riding limit, I went, yeah, okay. I had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, I only knew of maybe one of the, maybe two of the 30 or so people who were there. And for the rest of them, they're all wearing glasses and helmets. And so I couldn't tell the people apart or really see what they looked like anyway. When I turned up, I really felt like I didn't belong. And as an introvert, I don't, I don't like feeling like I don't belong places. And I suspect that Probably no one really likes that kind of feeling. But when it comes to church, that feeling is often the experience of a lot of guests and newcomers. Everything is different. The people are different. The language is different. And it can sometimes feel like you're intruding on someone else's private club. Uh, For those of you, though, who are new with us, if you're watching this is your first time, or if you come to church, uh, we want to say you are most welcome. We are so glad you're here. Uh, I really do want to extend that welcome to you. But Christians, I mean, Christians don't usually feel awkward uh, coming on the church, even if it's not their own church. We get kind of what's going to, what usually might happen. We know what to expect. But do we ever consider what church might be like for newcomers and guests? How do they feel? as they come into our churches. Well, over the last little while, we've been in and out of a a short series on what it looks like to be a loving and welcoming church. And today is the final piece in that series. And we're thinking specifically about what it looks like to be loving and welcoming to newcomers uh, and guests, those, those who are usually outside the church. And so a question worth asking today is, 
What place do guests have in church? How should we relate to those as well who are outside of the church? Well, I want to start by saying that as we read through both the Old and New Testament, we're constantly met with accounts and instructions given to God's people about those concerning those who are outside of the gathering. And the bottom line is that God constantly calls his people to be loving and welcoming, not just those who are inside, but those who are outside as well. Now, even though through the Old Testament, God's covenant people are the Israelites, the specifically the Israelites, he tells them in places like Leviticus 19.33, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. That's what he tells them. And then in places like Exodus 12, we find provisions made for foreigners, those non-Israelites, to be included in God's people for when they celebrate something like the Passover, when they remember God's great rescue of them out of Egypt. Other people can be included in that. And then when we come to a book of the Bible like Isaiah, we see the whole thing filled with imagery pointing to a time when God's people will not just, God will not just have a relationship with the Israelites, but with people of all nations. He will invite all people to come in. And then when we start the New Testament, in the very first chapter in Matthew 1, where we see Jesus' own genealogy, a number of Gentile women are deliberately highlighted in, at that point. We see people who are outside being included into the community of God's people. And then as we keep reading through the New Testament, uh, as we keep reading the gospel biographies of Jesus' life, and we see them continuing to show God uh, as now one who invites all the nations to himself, that he does that through the death of Jesus. Jesus came to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, Jew and Gentile alike are able to be included in God's people. And then through the rest of the New Testament, as the church grows, the good news of Jesus spreads. And guess what? It goes to all the nations. That's where the apostles take it. But we should ask, as we consider our church gatherings, what is the place of unbelievers? Or another way of asking that is, is church just a place for Christians? I wonder what you think. Well, over this series, we have considered what church is and why we are here. And we saw that church is a gathering of God's saved people. Church is about God. Church is about you, the individual. And church is about one another. Now, the most basic reason we go to church is simply because we belong together around God. God's cosmic purpose, we remember from Revelation 7, is a gathering of people around himself. And so, the goal of church, Ephesians 4 told us, is that as the body, we are to be growing and built up as every member serves the whole in love and in unity. The church is a place where God, our Christians rather, gather in God's presence to hear his word to respond to him, and to encourage one another in love. Now that's the New Testament's view of church. So church, it's for Christians. But 
in keeping with the rest of Scripture, the New Testament authors, Paul especially, they, they fully expect that our Christian gatherings are to be places where we're loving and welcoming of outsiders and where they have an opportunity to meet the risen Lord Jesus. In places like uh, 1 Corinthians 14, we see the encouragement to be doing church in a way that allows them to do that, to meet Jesus to, and respond in repentance and faith, leave, leaving the place worshipping God. Uh, and the constant encouragement then, it's to be loving people and helping them see Jesus. And so again, what does this mean for our understanding of church? Well, it means that church isn't just for Christians, even if it's primarily for them. And while I reckon most of us, if, if pushed, will, you know, would agree to that quite happily. Yeah, church is for unbelievers as, as well. I think that in our practices and in our actions, our attitudes, they actually say something else. They say that we do often have a view that simply church is for Christians. And perhaps there's a selfish approach, uh, something that we need to correct. But I want you to see that the primary focus of church is on Christian growth, but also a place where outsiders come in, where they encounter God through his word. Now, our New Testament reading today was from uh, Colossians. It was a part of his letter to that church in Colossae. Uh, and we're going to jump there for a little bit in a moment. And so I encourage you, as we do that, have your Bibles open. Wherever you are, wherever you're watching from, have your Bible open. That's the best way to listen. Now, Paul spends most of this letter, the opening few chapters, firstly, reminding Christians that they can be right with God only through trusting in Jesus' death. That's really important. We're right with God only through trusting in Jesus' death. And secondly, he reminds them that if they are trusting in Jesus, then this should be transformative. It should, be, should impact the way that we live and especially impact the way that we relate to each other, to other Christians. But again, the question, what about guests? Or what about those who are outside the church? Well, before he finishes his letter, uh, in chapter four, he has a handful of verses uh, where he says basically that, there is never a time where we, our responsibilities to the outsider should be forgotten. Now, if you look at this passage, if you looked at it in Bible study groups during the week, um, you would have seen that basically it's split up into two sections. In chapter 4, verses 2 to 4 uh, serve as a reminder to speak to God about people. And then verses 5 and 6 are an encouragement to speak to people about God. And so you can see, uh, if you've got your handout, if you printed that off or got it on your computer, you can see those uh, two sections laid out there and we'll deal with each of them in turn. And as we do, remember that we're considering what it looks like to be a loving and welcoming church to the guests, to the newcomers, to those outside the church as well. And so, as we read, we see verses 2 to 4. And the simple point is that Christians... Christians are people who commit important things to God in prayer. Right? Christians commit important things to God in prayer. And the view of prayer here, it's, it's not a last resort. It's not something to do if we remember to do it. No, Christian prayer, it's to be a priority. Verse 3, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful 
and thankful. He doesn't say pray if you feel like it. He uses the word devote, right? It's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Well, he then spells out what, what this kind of devotion looks like. He says, being watchful and thankful. Uh, we should be on the watch, both for things to be praying about, but also watchful for answered prayer that we can then turn into, into thanksgiving. And in fact, no one in the Bible upholds the importance of prayer as much as Jesus himself. Uh, he teaches his followers, his disciples, how to pray. He gives us parables that help us understand how, how God, his father, uh, is, is a God who delights to hear the prayers of his people. And in fact, he's a God who delights to answer, his, answer our prayers as they accord with his will. But in Colossians 4 here, uh, the prayers quickly move from the general kind of to the, to the specific. In verses 3 to 4, he says, and this is Paul, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now you notice here that Paul, he doesn't pray in a way that's self-serving, or pray in a way that serves his own, some kind of personal advantage. No, this is a guy who's in prison for speaking about Jesus. He's literally in chains. And he, pray, he prays, not that he'll be released, but rather he prays for more opportunity to speak the name of Jesus to those who haven't heard it yet. Now, it might sound weird to want to proclaim a mystery. That's what he says. Proclaim this mystery of Christ. I mean, what good does a mystery do anyone? But if we were to back it up in Colossians, back it up to the very end of, of chapter 1, we'd see, especially in verses 25 and 6, if you want to go away and, and read it later, we see that what was a mystery in the past has now been revealed in Jesus. That is, in a world that's been polluted by evil, in a world and in, with lives that are stained by our own sin, how can anyone have a relationship with a perfect and holy God. Our unrighteousness is incompatible with his holiness. There's the mystery. How can we or anyone be reconciled to God? Well, the answer to that mystery, Paul tells us, it's Jesus. How can sinful and rebellious people be reunited, be reconciled to a perfect and holy God? How can we be saved into life and relationship with him? The answer is Jesus. Through faith only in him. God's son who died for us so that he gets what we, don't, he gets what we deserve so that we get what we don't deserve. Forgiveness. New life. And so if you're watching along for the first time, if you're, if you're new to the, uh, to the Christian world, to church, if, if you're still trying to work out why Jesus is important, this is the part that I want you to stop and think about. This is the part that I want you to wrestle with. The mystery of Christ. That through Jesus, all people, including you, can have new life and relationship with God, the author of life. So that's the mystery of Christ that Paul is proclaiming. This is what he's urging these Christians to pray for opportunities uh, that it be shared and made known. And so a real quick application for us. Are you praying 
uh, prayer here is fundamental for the Christian life. We're to be marked with a prayerful dependence. And secondly, we need to be praying for the people in our lives who don't yet know Jesus, that they would come to know him, that there'll be an opportunity to share with him. And in fact, if you're not a Christian yet, that doesn't mean that you can't pray to God either. I want to encourage you to do it. Try it out. Uh, For you, maybe prayer looks like asking that God, if he's there, would reveal himself to you. That as you read his word, that, that this Christian faith would start to make sense. That you'd be able to put the pieces together. In fact, that's exactly what Paul would pray for you. And it's what I pray for you. Now, before we move on, we see in verse 4 that verse four that Paul doesn't just call Christians to pray for an opportunity, but that given the opportunity, that God would allow him to be clear and faithful. And so, he's another really quick and easy application. Uh, perhaps you need to start praying as you come to Sunday, that Adam and I, as we, as we preach, that we would do so in a way that makes the good news of Jesus clear. And that as we preach, that we would do so from God's word faithfully. Uh, Next Saturday, we have our evening out event and Richard Newton, the the chaplain at Taz, will be coming to speak. I'd encourage you to pray for him as well. This same thing, that he would make the mystery of Christ known and and do it clearly and faithfully. Because we know that our God isn't only able to open doors of opportunity, but he also works through ordinary people like us to speak the message of salvation in Jesus. And that leads us to the next two verses. Because as I flagged earlier, this isn't just a call to be prayerful when it comes to our non-believing friends and family, that they would hear the name of Jesus. No, this section is also a call to action. And because verses 5 and 6 show us that when it comes to others encountering Jesus, we all have a part to play. And so we read verses 5 and 6, Paul says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Right, there are two shifts here uh, from the previous three verses. In verse 2 to 4, he was saying, pray for opportunities. And now he's saying, make the most of your opportunities. Before he was saying, pray for clear speech. But now he's saying, be wise and clear as you speak and engage. The assumption here is that uh, Christians aren't huddling in an inward focused kind of group, but actually living in a way that's visible and engages with those who don't yet have a relationship with God. And in their lives, they aren't just waiting for opportunities to come up, but they're actively looking for, seeking opportunities out. And so again, we have our outreach event, our evening out coming up this Saturday. It's a relaxed evening. It's an easy invite. We're going to hang out. We're going to have some drinks. We're going to have some pizza. And there's going to be a short talk answering the question, doesn't religion poison everything? And so what would it look like for you to make the most of that opportunity? Who could you be inviting along to that? 
But when it comes to those not yet a part of church and our gatherings, uh, verses 5 and 6 are about more than just inviting people to something. In verse 6 he says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Again, there's an assumption here that these Christians are actually speaking about things that matter with the people in their lives who don't yet know Jesus. And as they do, it's a conversation. Now, a conversation's one way or are they two-way? Right? You know, conversations are two-way things. And so that means Christians are meant to be listening graciously. And so that, like a chaplain, uh, we can speak the hope of Jesus into the specific situation of a person's life. In this way, we can know how to answer everyone as we know them. And after we've listened, and then we have the opportunity to speak, he says, let it be seasoned with salt. Right, seasoned with salt. This is a kitchen kind of analogy, right? We think of the kitchen here. Our salt is tasteful. It adds flavor. And as I was reminded during the week, a little bit of salt, especially chicken salt, it can really transform a bucket of chips. And so our speech should stand out and be transformative as we share our lives and, our, and the hope we have with Jesus with others. But we need to remember it's not just our words uh, that can be a blessing for those outside the church. There are many ways that we can be practically loving them. And so let me encourage you to be thinking about what it might look like for you to be salt uh, for the people in your life. Like, like we're told here. Now, if we're to be wise and loving toward those who are outside the church, outside the gathering, how much more should that be the case for those who come into our gatherings, for our guests? Uh, when a guest walks into church, what a privilege it is to be able to love them uh, and welcome them in the same way that Jesus does each of us. It should never be the case that someone can come into our church, into one of our gatherings, to sit there and then leave at the end without ever being made to feel welcome. Now, interestingly and, and somewhat sadly, uh, I gave that same line earlier in the year as we were looking in Luke 19, the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. I say sadly because it was only a few weeks later at Easter time that we had two families visit us. Uh, for the first time, in fact, it was their first time ever in church. And the sad thing was that only one person spoke to them and tried to make them feel welcome. And so I'm not surprised that they haven't been back since. I share this simply as an example of a way where in the past we've dropped the ball. But on the flip side of that, over the last month and a bit, I've actually been really encouraged as we've gone through this series to see, to both see personally and hear stories of how uh, people have been impacted, how uh, people have been stretching themselves to make others feel loved and welcomed here at St. Augustine's. Uh, both those who are regulars, but also newcomers and visitors. And so I do want to say, well done. Uh, it's great. And it has been encouraging. It really genuinely has. But I want, to, I want to continue to encourage you to think about what it looks like to be loving and welcoming towards the newcomers 
like Jesus does. And as you think about that, I want to highlight what's sometimes called the myth of the welcoming church. That is, most churches and their leaders think that they are pretty welcoming places. But while people are quite friendly and and welcoming of one another, the experience of a, a guest is often not quite the same. Now, if we're, to be, if we're people who uh, seriously believe that Jesus is the best possible news there is for a broken world, and I believe he is too, then we should want to make it as easy as possible for people to hear the word of God without uh, any kind of other noise or distractions or interference, and without going away feeling like church was an insider-focused club where I wasn't welcome. But we want people instead to leave saying, actually, this stuff is worth thinking about. And I want to chew on it some more. So as we finish our series on being a loving and welcoming church, I want to ask you, what is the most loving and welcoming thing we can do for people? For one another? Let me finish by telling you what it is. The most loving thing that we can do is point people to Jesus. The most loving thing we can do for each other, for us Christians, is keep pointing each other back to Jesus. The most encouraging, most loving and welcoming thing we can do for newcomers and visitors and those outside the church as well is point them to Jesus. We only know what true love looks like if we keep our focus on the love that God has shown us in him. And so let me finish by reading to you from uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, there he says, This is love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, we love and welcome because in Jesus God has first loved and welcomed us. Why don't I pray? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. That in it we see that you are a God who loves, a God who welcomes. You've done that to us through Jesus. You've allowed us to be included in your family. And so we give you thanks and praise. Father, help us to be a loving and welcoming church. Help us to understand what church is to understand our role inside church, to love our brothers and sisters here and to love those who come in and those who are even outside the church at the moment. Father, let our lives be marked by that kind of living, we pray, so that your name is glorified and your name is uplifted among the nations. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we go now to a time of praise. Forgiveness of your sins.
come now to a time of prayer and so I encourage you in a moment uh, when our little blue slide comes up to pause the video and take some time to be praying. Uh, our passage has encouraged us to be people who pray and especially pray for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus and people who pray that the gospel would be proclaimed, proclaimed clearly. Uh, so I invite you to stop for a moment now and commit uh, these things and so many other things, things that are happening in your life as well, to the Lord in prayer. Uh, following that, we'll have another time of praise before we finish.
Friends, as we go out, let me remind you again of these words of 1 John 4 verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, that's Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Well, friends, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And I pray that you have a great week and can tune in next time. See you later.